I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by HelloFresh. The meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new and delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everybody, from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. Get 50% off of your first box at hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Sonos, makers of the Sonos Beam, the new smart compact soundbar for your TV, Amazon Alexa-enabled, beautiful sound, wirelessly connected to your other Sonos speakers, Pre-order it, the Sonos Beam at Sonos.com, and start your home sound system today. Justin Ling. Let me leave the studio, Jesse. Stop locking me under the cupboard. Justin Ling is still here. Justin Ling, star of Galaxy Quest. Uh, You may remember him from the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercials. Welcome back to Shortcuts. It's been a minute. Thank you for having me. Today, we are going to talk... Change my picture on the website, Jesse. That's first on my list. (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about the media as the enemy of the people, Canada edition, courtesy of MP Michelle Rempel. I, I couldn't agree more. And we are going to delve into the definitive journalistic investigation of the Stephen Galloway affair as conducted by his principal defender. And I will give an award to anybody who finished all 11,000 words of it. It's so nice to have you here. (laughs) Is it? This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Meredith Schofield, Roxanne Kropp, Carson Fall, John Aspler, Alejandro Carboni Jimenez, Amelia Leon, Kina Trowell, and David Robinson. I support Canada Land because they have 
given access to my sister Laura's uh, stories uh, and investigative journalism that she has been working so hard on, uh, well, most of her life and particularly over the last six years. So I really appreciate that Jesse and Canada Land have uh, given her a venue that she can tell her story. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Justin, you know HelloFresh. Yeah, they fed me for a while. You got the box, the box filled with good things. Yeah. I cooked it. It was delicious. It was delicious. And you know what I like about it is it's almost like Ikea. You can follow the instructions or you can kind of do like HelloFresh hacks because all the flavors go well together. So you can kind of mess around with them. You know, if you're like me and you know what you're doing in the kitchen, you don't have to follow the instructions. But if you do, you'll have a beautiful meal in 30 minutes or less. And if you're like me, if you ignore the instructions, you'll end up crying on the floor hungry. But you would have ended up that way anyhow. I mean. Check out HelloFresh, get locally sourced fresh ingredients and get 50% off of your first box. If this sounds good to you, why not try it out? You get half off your first box when you go to hellofresh.ca slash canadaland and enter the promo code canadaland when you subscribe so michelle rempel okay let me see if i got this right michelle rempel didn't like a chantali bear column and has basically decried the press as irrelevant she doesn't need us anymore we're all partisan she can just use twitter is that an overstatement or is that actually just like exactly what she said on twitter i mean that's exactly what she said she also didn't cite chantelle bear she said a toronto star article which made it sound like the entire paper or the news reporter right. there had taken aim at her when in actuality it was a single columnist truthfully i didn't love the whole column um so we didn't read a Chantilly Bear basically called out uh, Andrew Shear's conservatives for sort of just ignoring a lot of important issues. They basically said Andrew Shear spent his last question period before the summer break focusing on the prime minister's family vacation and how much money he spent renovating, you know, his official properties and in, in the swing Gatineau, set. No, in the, the spent swing set, exactly. Money on the swing set. And instead of focusing on, you know, the refugee question or, you know, the, the current trade war, and actually, that part I thought was a bit unfair because Andrew Shear actually has focused on all those things for, for quite some time. It is dumb that he's focusing on a fucking swing set. But there's actually a point in Chantel's column where she basically says, you know, the conservative party has completely divested itself from reality in a lot of cases. And I think that was the strongest part of the whole thing. And I assume that's what Michelle Rempel was particularly taking issue with. So it's near the bottom. I'm going to read a bit of it because I actually really, really like it. And this is why I think Chantelle Bear is one of the better columnists in the country. She says, over Shear's first year as leader, the conservatives have become more and more comfortable with misrepresenting major government policies. They are not just taking shortcuts with reality. They are leading their target audience astray. They apparently could not care less about being called out on the distortions. And when it comes to not letting facts get in the way of a good story, some of the party's literature would make a bottom-feeding tabloid green with envy. Like, oh. Oh, nice. she's a pretty she's a pretty level-headed, steady, you know, commentator and usually very well informed. Whatever, people disagree. She took a position. She's a columnist. Rempel's yeah. job is to disagree with things like this. That's fine. Yeah. But how quickly this morphed into a salvo against the media writ large. Yeah. Inciting like a a wire story as well, which was I think a very solid wire story about the conservatives essentially filibustering, it sounded like. Like they were like wasting time talking about uh, appreciation of various uh, Latin American countries to like allegedly stop parliament in its tracks from doing more things so they can then say parliament and, didn't do And the CP headline was opposition parties tying up work of parliament with obstruction tactics. The problem here is that on this front, she's right. You know, the coverage of- Who's what, right? 
Rempel is right. right on that. The coverage of the Conservative Party's filibuster tactics is wildly different than the coverage of the NDP's filibuster tactics when the Conservatives were in power. The reality is the Trudeau government actually is trying to ram through a bunch of pieces of legislation without an adequate study. The Conservatives are filibustering to slow that down. And they're actually reducing the amount of public reporting is going through the public accounts, which is our accounting of where all the government spends all its money. I buy that so the entirely. Conservatives are right here. I buy that entirely that she's saying a double standard that the NDP wouldn't get the same criticism. But I think that yeah. that's actually because we don't take the NDP as seriously in the press. Well, this is when they were official opposition. Like you know, even they're... so, I think even fair. so, and that's a fair complaint. Like I think it's, it's fair for her to take issue with these specific articles. You know, and I think that's even a good point now that I understand it a bit better about yeah. the NDP. I think that the press is like Sheer could be prime minister, so we're going to be tougher on him. The NDP as, as official opposition, <laughs> that's never going to happen. But so, I, and that's that's the fault of the media. I mean, that, that is that, the fault. Yeah. And great, come after the media. And, and for she's that. certainly right on some fronts. I mean, you know, generally speaking, individual parties get sort of tagged with um, these kind of lazy shortcuts or kind of intrinsic beliefs by the media, right? We cover the NDP as though they're never going to win. We cover the conservatives as though they're all so-cons and, and a little bit crazy, yeah. and, you know, mildly authoritarian. We cover the liberals as though they're sort of, you know, wishy-washy or, you know, tied to old money or whatever. You know, reporters, especially in the- We look for stories gallery, that fit those narratives. hundred yeah. percent. So Michelle's right to call that out. The problem is that everything that followed was was a bit unhinged. And I think what you know, I like Michelle generally, I think, you know, she's been the immigration critic in a time when it was, I think it would have been very easy. And we talked about this on Oppo this, this week, if you were listening. Oh, yeah, Oppo. Yeah. Uh, I think the party had a real option to go super negative and torque up the refugee crisis insofar as it is actually a crisis and kind of tap into the sort of xenophobic anti-immigrant sentiment that is here in Canada right now. And they haven't Totally done that. So I give them credit for that. Come back with me to the media side of this here. Come yeah. back with me. We're Fine. not on Oppo. Where Michelle Rempel, as you say, goes off the rails here is when she starts to say, hey, the media is not serving people. They're hopelessly partisan. Right. Enter people like me. Over 64,000 of you follow me here on Twitter. 11,000 on YouTube. 100,000 on Facebook. On any given day, over 100,000 people watch or view what I'm talking about. I can talk directly to you now as a public servant as opposed to going solely through their lens. I am very, very sensitive to elected officials trying to invalidate the media itself. And let me give you a little more backstory to this, too, because it's not just Rempel. The entire party right now, the Conservative Party in Ottawa, is actually running under that ideology that they can go around the media. The former director of communications for Shears, the official opposition, had a bad habit of blacklisting journalists who they thought were a little too critical. How do I know this? I was on the blacklist. Yeah. I was told by a certain MP that the party instructed that MP not to talk to me because I was never going to give them a fair shake. And why did I get this reputation? Because I called out bullshit that they were peddling, stuff that was flagrantly untrue. And you want to talk about that? Michelle Rempel just last week wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Sun, which, by the way, is no longer a real newspaper. I'm sorry, is now basically a mouthpiece of the Conservative Party. Um, well, explicitly so, as we reported. You yeah, know, that, exactly. that they have a plan to do just that. Yeah. So Michelle Rempel and Pierre Polyev wrote this big op-ed calling out the government for the tax changes that targeted registered companies that they kind of put through last year. And in the first like couple, I think in the first uh, paragraph, they just list all this stuff. And I'll, I'll go through a little bit. They would put a 73% tax hike on the savings of small businesses. They would penalize family businesses for sharing earnings and work with family members. They would double the tax on the sale of a farm to parents to their children. All of that's untrue. Like All of those things are objectively untrue. We have done the work on this. We have fact-checked all those claims, and they're not fucking true. Yeah. And they keep repeating them because they don't care, because they're now giving platforms to just keep repeating them. They go around the media, who will filter out those claims for the falsehoods found within them, and they don't want 
to have that happen. They want to just publish bullshit. This is like the big trend, and it's we've kind of documented this in little pieces throughout the way. The you know journalists getting blacklisted or them simply you know not making lower availability than ever before. Doug Ford's campaign creating their own media. This is you know like yeah. to some extent they've always tried to do that. Message control is obviously a huge part of what they're trying to achieve. There's a difference between trying to take advantage of new routes to communicate directly with people and pointing a finger at the media as the enemy. And once you cross over into that territory, you are playing with something very dangerous. Well, You're really questioning the foundation of which, like, objective reality. Like, it's not just about, oh, we don't want to be the enemy. It's unfair to call us the enemy. To the public, and, and you know, it's what you're saying. Like, you're essentially saying, fuck these people in the media. They don't serve the people. I serve you. I'm an yeah. elected official. Trust me. And whoever's checking me is so hopelessly biased that, like, don't, like, out the gate before we even get into the details. It's fine for her to come after journalists for the details or for bias. Yeah. But it's a Trump tactic writ large. If it comes out of their mouth, it's a lie. And then we're in uncharted territory. But, no, but hang on, because I think actually both those things you identified are pretty old. I mean, it's not uncommon for parties to go around the media and try to communicate with supporters or voters directly. That's not new. And we tolerate a fair bit of that because honestly, it's usually less effective, right? Because voters generally look at party releases or you know party spokespeople and go, okay, I hear you. I But the demonizing, is that? The demonizing the media at the same time put together is a very dangerous cocktail yeah. because you're not just saying... No, listen to my point of view. You're saying, listen to my point of view and only my point of view because everyone else is fucking lying to you. And you get into this reality where there are, you know, two simultaneously existing truths, even though one of them is nonsense. But, you know, the voter will never accept that. Like, we're getting to a point where the conservative party, and in some cases the liberal party and the NDP in different circumstances, are turning the media into a party onto itself. Yeah. A convenient punching bag, a partisan yeah. player. And this is, you know, I guess I said we're in uncharted territories. It's not necessarily true. It's charted by Trump and it's explicit. Yeah. He has said the reason why I go after them so frequently is that when they have something, you know, you won't listen to them then. And yeah. to constantly be in that fight on trivial minutiae defangs the media for its actual purpose. So I feel like we need to not let that happen here, you know? And I feel like we- I don't we, know how we do it though. I think that- the, I, I wrote a big thing in The Walrus about Doug Ford and I got into a lot of this. You know, That's a good place to hide your thoughts so no one will ever know them. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people read it, Jesse. Everyone, everyone thought it was wonderful. But I mean, this is it. I, you know, once you convince the public, like you know, not to listen to us, we're in a we're in a really tough spot, and we don't have the tools in our tool chest to go and convince the public anew. Like, so we, that's where we got to take this conversation. I don't know, we're gonna do it today, but like, I think we need like, like, what is the playbook for some sort of like professional solidarity? Like, I say this is a person who's like the act of taking apart bad reports, biased reports yeah. is what we do here. Yeah. But I think simultaneously the field needs like some kind of like united we stand. Like, no, if you're gonna yeah. actually try to like discredit journalism yeah. as having any validity whatsoever, there's gotta be something we do to fight back. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. And I mean, I think part of it is improve media literacy. And you know, I think this is something we say all the time and it's not actually an effective thing because it's gonna take, you know, forever to get the public to a point where like, you know, they're they're very, very uh, well versed on, you know, how to read stories critically. But, you know, when Michelle Rempel goes and attacks one unfair report about their tactics in parliament and uses that to kind of writ large discredit everybody, including her fact checking of all this bullshit nonsense she's publishing in the Toronto Sun, we're in a really tough spot. And I literally don't know how to push back on that other than to say those are not the same thing. You know, one report that's sort of unfair to you does not discredit a report that calls out you lying to the public. Like, it's hard. And I'm a bit worried we're getting to this point where we're making it adversarial as well. And I realize I do this all the time. But, you know, the, that's OK. But the Toronto Star tactic of like fact checking Trump and like every single thing he says and calling him a liar out front. Is that helping? 
No, you had it a second ago, adversarial. We're afraid to be adversarial because then it almost like, oh, are we proving their point that we're some party that's against them? But on this point, we can have an issue. We can have a cause, which is if you're going to come after the press writ large, the media is lying, the media is the enemy of the people, the media, we don't need the media anymore. It's fuck you and anything you need from us, like the idea that you could then come back to us for access when you want to get a message out. I don't know. I think there's, I there's, there's, there's some that. way you can push back to shame them and to and to draw a line in the sand. I did this before, like when Jerry Butts came after McLean's, you know, when Andrew Potter had that piece, which is a terrible piece. But, you know, like to speak from the prime minister's office and say, oh. What was the piece again? Was this the, the this snowstorm? Was the, 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 yeah, the snowstorm thing. And, uh, and the then the, the thing where a bunch of people got stuck in traffic in Montreal. Yeah, and then in the fallout, there was like a lot of whispering that there was political pressure on yeah. McGill to fire Potter, but it wasn't, uh, there's no reason to believe uh, that it was coming directly from right. the PMO's office, and that's what Jerry Butts was concerned about. But the way he was expressing this was tweeting things like, oh, you journalists, you know, throwing out hypotheticals about, you know, I think Andrew Quinn said, if there's been political pressure, yeah. there's a major scandal. And Jerry Butts was trying to shame the press for floating Andrew Coyne, scurrilous reporter yeah, Andrew yeah. Coyne, for floating a hypothetical, you know, saying that this is a great way to spread gossip, Andrew. Like, fuck off from the PMO trying to discredit. Yeah. Like, I think, and, you, and the problem is that, you know, Jerry Butts' Twitter feed, exists a lot like Michelle Rempel. You know, he activates a whole bunch of folks on social media who will believe him. And when he says, oh, you know, these, these unethical reporters are spreading hypotheticals, you're, you see the direct impacts of liberal supporters then turning on the very reporters who are most critically covering the liberal government. And yada, 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 we're all fucked. Yeah, we got to fight back. Justin Ling, duly noted. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a press release, and I, I want you to tell me who you think it's from. We have been implementing a strategy to grow new revenue and slow the decline of traditional revenue. The good news is that our strategy is working. We continue to see quarter after quarter of double-digit digital advertising revenue growth, and we are, as best as possible, slowing the decline of traditional revenues. Who do you think that is? Our strategy is working. Elon Musk. Yeah, it's post-media. It's in their announcement that they're shuttering a number of community newspapers, you know, lifebloods of the community and whatnot. Everything's working. Everything's fine. We're shutting down all these newspapers, laying off all of their staff, moving a couple of them to online only or weekly. But no, no, no. Is it Godfrey? Is, it, is that from Godfrey? That is directly from the devil's mouth himself. When I want to hear about digital strategy, I want it from an ossified mummy clad in gold. <laughs> hey, he won Newsman of the Year, Jesse Brown. I'll have you show him some respect. Yeah, it's, it's duly noted because RIP to some of the, uh, the great local newspapers that are dead. They just killed uh, a couple more, yeah? So it is now going to be the end of the Cameras Canadian, the Strathmore Standard, the Capus Casing Northern Times, the Ingersoll Times, the Northwich Gazette, the Petrolia Topic. I don't really know any of these papers, but I assume that they are very useful in their communities. I mean, that's what Post Media is really good at getting away with, is that, you know, people in the middle of the country don't don't know these papers. But Here's the thing. The news is coming up from the states that local newspapers that actually are locally owned, community owned, or small business owned, mm -hmm. are profitable. They're yeah. still making money. I would bet you that those papers, they might have to move to digital, they might have to change some things. I bet you that those papers that they just killed could sustain and make money if they were in the hands of a small handful of people in those communities. Oh, you mean if they didn't have to send remittance payments back to the mother corp so they could pay off their New York hedge fund managers? Yeah, when oh, you're, God, who would have figured that? When you're running a little ma and pa community newspaper, you don't necessarily want to be like sending, you know, all of your revenue Sending back? the VIG back to vulture capitalists uh, in the United States of America. Yeah. It's almost as though we need, I mean, you know, antitrust weirdos kind of freak me out, but 
this is a situation where you know I I actually want why do the you government have to throw that in? Of course, there should be antitrust. You know, what, yeah, antitrust law a is sprinkling not a of libertarian laissez-faire just so nobody gets confused <laughs> about. No, this is obviously like we've been fucked by media concentration in Canada. It's been a we huge have. failure. No, objectively, yes. The failure of the competition board to do anything about this has completely fucked it. Like that, like that. You can talk about digital and Facebook and Google yeah. all you want. If they had stopped some of this from coalescing as they should have, as they were told to by commission after commission, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, I, I mean, antitrust law is not you know, the silver bolt that everyone thinks it is. It can only do so much. But this is a great situation where you can do something. Antitrust laws would permit the government to end some of the the monopolization of, of local news and, you know, the gutting of said local news. Yeah. And they haven't done it. Maybe antitrust law in a time machine might be too late. Duly noted. I am going to duly note yet another transgression from the police on freedom of the press. Mm-hmm. Hard to keep up with these. We could just do an episode of duly noted about that. The OPP... As you can see. Yeah, you know me. The Ontario Provincial Police have charged the publisher of the Aylmer Express, John Hweston, and his son, reporter-editor Brett Hweston, with obstructing a police officer last summer when they were simply trying to report on an accident. A car plunged into Lake Erie. They went there to tell the story of that, and the police arrested them. And, and, and in, the, in the process, they committed the horrifying crime known as driving on a closed road. They committed some journalism, and, you know, I don't think it is an accident, I'll say this every time it happens, that the cops are getting more and more bold at seeing how far they can push it and seeing whether or not they need to respect the press in any way, shape, or form. As the press weakens, this is going to happen more and more, and we'll just point it out more and more. And there is one really odd thing, and sort of wonky, but I didn't even realize this until I was reading the story, but in Ontario, you don't need the Crown's permission to lay charges. The OPP can go ahead and lay its own charges without the actual approval of Crown prosecutors. Oh, is is that right? Yeah. I mean, I was told this. I mean, if if I need to be fact-checked, someone should do that. But I I was told point blank that, yeah, in Ontario, you actually do not need Crown permission to lay charges in all circumstances. So, If it's provincial police, you're saying? It seems like it, yeah. So the OPP has the authority to lay charges themselves. That that does not sound like a good idea. No, it doesn't, does it? It does not. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Okay, Justin, I'm going to thank our second sponsor, and that is Sonos. They make wonderful smart speakers. I have a couple. They have a new thing that I don't have yet, and that's the Sonos Beam. This is a smart, compact soundbar for your television set. It is Amazon Alexa-enabled for easy voice control and delivers crystal clear, richly detailed sound for movies, shows, video games, and, of course, you can play podcasts on it, music, anything else. It wirelessly connects to your other Sonos speakers. You can shoot sound around your home. You can play everything on all of your speakers at once which will be very, very loud and satisfying if you like that sort of thing. Check it out. These are very high-quality, high-definition, and loud speakers when you want them to be. Pre-order the Sonos Beam right now at Sonos.com and start your home sound system today. Justin, did you read Quillette's 11,000-word article about the Stephen Galloway affair? I sure tried to read some of it. It is with great pain and under great duress that I have delved into this. And uh, Quillette is uh, where John Kay landed. I think it's— uh, He helped start it, maybe? Did he? It's unclear. It's one of these scurrilous Patreon-funded new media. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I don't Can't know much him. about it. It seems to be like some sort of like online version of Reason with vague libertarian alt-righty. I don't read it. I sort of question their decision well. not to have any editors. Um, that seems like a bad idea. That's why you get 11,000 word pieces that have that are rife with factual inaccuracies. Yeah. So, you know, the main thing here is like, fuck, am I going to have to fact check 11,000 word articles in Quillette now? Like, is the purview of a media critic in Canada and a, an organization like ours now going to have to extend to, and I don't want to, is this a hobby website? Is this a real thing? It's hard to take this piece seriously as a work of journalism because the person who wrote this 11,000 word, like this is what trumpeted by John Kay and his writer Brad Crenn is the, the authoritative account of the Stephen Galloway incident is written by the guy who published the UBC Accountable Stephen Galloway Advocacy website. So it, it's an investigation by literally an activist in favor of the free Stephen Galloway, Stephen Galloway is not guilty campaign, who's then calling up women who've accused Stephen Galloway of rape and harassment and saying, hey, I'm investigating the Stephen Galloway case. Will you give me comment? Well, of course, they, they won't speak to him. So he he simply can't function as a reporter. He can't get comment from the other side. That didn't stop him from writing 11,000 words on this. God, you never need 11,000 words. I would have loved to have ignored this piece. I mean, he doesn't even disclose his affiliation with the story until you're 8,300 words into it. I would love I to just not respond to this. And I would have. I haven't read much in Quillette prior to this, but it got some pretty big cosigns. Like David Brooks from the New York Times was retweeting it. And I was surprised by like a lot of journalists like Martin Petrikin was was saying, you know, this is this is something here. And people were saying, oh, I'll give a Pulitzer to these people. This is the account. And it was very deliberately an attempt to kind of rewrite the narrative of what happened. And then like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to look at this and see if it's true or right or not. Yeah. So I confess, I never followed the Stephen Galloway story, not out of any particular, you know, opinion about it, but just because it's so outside of what I deal with. And I just honestly didn't care about it. Like, I think you I, reflect I, I, the vast majority of people. I, this is a case that the amount that's been written about it versus we see in our own limited coverage of it. It's not a popular story. Yeah. Let but it's me, become this like iconic pivotal thing for so many people on both sides of the issue where it's like, you know, you will you will die on this hill. 
I kind of was not really that engaged at the beginning anyhow, because so you've got this figure, this uh, head of a creative writing department, there's a rape allegation, there's other other allegations of harassment and whatnot. Knowing that rape allegations are very, very hard to prove, the way that this all landed is, yeah, but he was fired. Why was he fired? Well, the university's official reason was, and they launched three different investigations. There was a, a financial yeah. investigation, there was an HR investigation, and they had this judge come and investigate the sexual harassment and assault claims. And she said, on a balance of probabilities, the assaults and harassment are not substantiated. But there was other stuff that led the university to say, there is a record of misconduct leading to a serious breach of trust. Now, that is the kind of statement that's been heavily lawyered. It is not easy to fire a tenured professor. And Stephen Galloway has a union that would be very prepared to fight for him if he wanted to say this was wrongful dismissal. Yeah. He chose not to. On that point, he said, no contest. You say I'm fired for a record of misconduct that has resulted in an irreparable breach of trust? No contest. And then we get accounts of him doing things like to Chelsea Rooney, a student, she says that he rubbed his leg against hers under the table and said to her, if I was 10 years younger, could I get a ride on the Rooney train? There's another uncontested uh, incident where he slapped a student, apparently some part of some game, but there's a judgment question there. And, and it was reported that this was just some light, playful slap. The woman who was slapped says, no, this was a serious slap. There's a bunch of things that just like add up where you're like, yeah. I don't know if he raped anyone. I don't. I don't know if he raped anyone. But this guy has had relationship after relationship with students. He, there's like a quote from Facebook where he's telling a student, you know, who made fun of him on Facebook, who like, you know, had like a, a, some kind of picture of him as a grumpy cat. And Stephen Galloway said, this is a small world we live in, in this Canadian literary yeah. society. You slimy little shit. The walls will close in on you. My door is closed to you. It's like, like a lot of stuff you could get fired for. Yeah. So yeah. I like you checked out where I'm like, I don't really have a problem with this guy getting fired. It sounds like there was more than enough for him to be fired. I don't need to follow the ins and outs of this internecine warfare between the Canadian literary community as they as they fell upon each other and devoured each other. This is not like, there's a better hill to die on than this guy who seems like he was, yeah. you know, like fireable. So, I think there's an interesting issue here in that, and it's kind of actually goes back to what we were talking about when it comes to Michelle Rempel. There is now a movement of guys, let's call them guys because they're all guys, who have tried to create an alternative press in some cases to kind of like play a host to their individual political proclivities, right? So in Colette's case, it's, you know, Jordan Peterson's had a rough ride from the media. Let's give him a home. Or like, you know, let's let's finally tell the real Stephen Galloway story from our perspective. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? You know, we in the last 15 years have seen a whole bunch of mostly left-wing media outlets crop up because they want to talk about, you know, eco-justice and, and shit like that. And to some degree, that's fine. And to some degree, Quillette is also fine. Quillette? Quillette. Quillet, whatever the fuck it's called. Quillette. Quillette. It's actually a French pastry. It, to some degree, that's fine. Part of the problem is that you have to recognize the quality of these sites is not the same as an actual news site. No, that's um, too sweeping. That's too sweeping. I'll say that as somebody who, like, I have a niche site that popped up to- And uh, the quality is- <laughs> Yes, that's fine. No, I, I, but you're saying, like, as a category of these news sites, the quality okay, is not Not there. all of them, but- Many of them do lack, like, the same rigor in editing and reporting chops and, you know, like, rigor and sort of journalistic standards that come with many other news sites. And actually, I'll give you some credit. At least you had the good sense to hire, you know, online editors and, and you know, reporters who know what they're doing. Fuck you. Shut up. My stuff was good, too. <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to say that because it's somebody's – I don't care if it's professional. I don't care if it's somebody doing their spare time. Anybody can do good journalism, right? My issue with this particular site, and as we delve into these sites, and we're going to have to, is – is the extent to which Quillette has the aesthetic of rigor. Everything about the yes. way that it's put yeah. together. There's it, no disclaimer to kind of tell you, hey, listen, we're not 
we're not on the, on the par. This is that, presented as this as yeah. this long form deep dive. Everything from the font to the to the yeah. tone of this piece, which is not like if he had said, "Hey, my name's Brad Cran. I'm one of the guys behind the UBC Accountable campaign. I think my buddy Stephen Galloway got yeah. railroaded, and I'm going to tell you why." That's fine. Let them publish that. Yeah. But presenting this as they did, as the definitive authoritative account and, and dispassionate voice, and then you're 8,300 words into it before you realize that this guy has a dog in this fight. Meanwhile, so we did our job, and we found out that like the new information that he brought, which is essentially that the main complainant, who's been known as MC, the one who actually accused Stephen Galloway of rape, according to this piece in Quillette, she was just sort of a patsy upon of Chelsea Rooney, who's the real mastermind. Yeah. The Chelsea Rooney is the one who took this complaint on MC's behalf and brought it first to UBC and brought the voicemails. And we verified that that is not true. Neither of those things. It's just absolutely false. MC, and like removing agency from a woman who decided to launch a rape accusation, which is yeah. not a small thing. And, and, and saying, a, you know, yeah. somebody did that for you is a big, it's a big problem. And there's a handful of big things in this piece that you could tell if this was coming from somebody who, you know, was a real journalist coming at it from at least some level of objectivity, they would never happen. Like there's multiple times where he conflates a lack of evidence in his possession with a lack of evidence that the thing occurred, right? So he would keep going, there's no evidence of this. There was never any evidence. The evidence never existed. But, you know, he doesn't actually kind of dive into what the allegation is. A lot of times he goes, I don't have the evidence, therefore no evidence exists. It's I, filled with, if you're reading this critically as somebody who does this yeah. work, you know, from the beginning where he gives this context of the university was in trouble, they'd had a bunch of scandals, but they were about to get a huge endowment. And then it's suggested, you know, he kind of like leads into it by saying like, as long as no scandals erupted, yeah. everything would be great. That is as far, so it suggests that this, con and maybe maybe that did have a, a role to play. He poisons the well from the very but, beginning. But, there's, but he does not substantiate that that had any bearing yeah. on what happened next. And and it goes on from there, and all the tropes are brought out, that there was post-incident contact is there to discredit the accuser. He uses terms like the mob was hungry for more blood and things like that. Well, you have to substantiate. What mob? Show me some examples of it. He, he repeatedly says that MC had a relationship with Galloway that was purely consensual, despite MC disputing that through her lawyer in a statement saying it was not just purely consensual. MC's position is that when the alleged assault and harassment took place, right. they were not in a consensual relationship. So, and he ignores that entirely. Right. So, I mean, you know... You would think, like, when I started, the first time I read this, I, I got a thousand words, and I'm like, well, this is this is terrible. I don't even need to read this. And it wasn't until really credible people, like, even like, you know, Gary Mason of The Globe, whose colleague at The Globe, Marsha Lederman, did write the most exhaustively reported version of this. Gary Mason is saying, oh, Brad Cran, if he's got his facts straight, this is the authoritative version. That's a hypothetical that's not great. If he has his facts straight, you know, uh, if this unsubstantiated nonsense is correct. So like, if these aesthetics of rigor that yeah. Quillette is presenting are swallowed whole by like major people like David Brooks or like you've got, you know, respected Canadian journalists retweeting this, sharing this and, you know, conferring credibility on this, then uh, that basically calls us to action and we have to do our work on and this. Let's be clear, <laughs> there, there, you know, there's a big concern in the male media world that at some point someone's career is going to get ruined by either a false accusation or a trumped up accusation or, or whatever. That is a, it is a valid concern. It's not the most important concern, I don't think. I think the most important concern is women not getting sexually assaulted or harassed. But fair enough, I also don't want, you know, careers unduly ruined. So maybe there will be a point where Quillette does jump in and gives defense to that guy, that, that hypothetical guy. The problem is, if you're this sloppy, if you're this incompetent, I don't want Colette doing it. I want someone good doing it. I mean, like, near the very top of the story, there's one thing that just stuck out for me, and I, this is how I know it was not actually fact-checked. At one point he says, 
Under Canadian law, sexual assault is properly treated as a serious crime that can be punished with a life sentence. And the word life is hyperlinked, and the hyperlink goes to a broken link, page not found. And sure enough, if you go into the criminal code, sexual assault is not punishable by up to life in prison. It has a 14-year maximum sentence. I believe a sexual assault with a weapon can come with uh, uh-huh. life imprisonment, but that's just not true. You, This was not fact-checked. This is lazy, sloppy reporting. I heard from a certain male in the industry recently, after this piece came out, he kind of linked to it and said, you know, we have Stephen Galloway, you know, Giungo Meshi is going to walk. All they started listing all the men who supposedly have been vindicated. He goes, what is the state of the Me Too movement now? And I'm sorry to that that <laughs> media person who's probably maybe listening to this, but it's a fucking dumbass point. You know, what is the state of the Me Too movement now? Well, so uh, it's the- like... The point of the Me Too movement was not to destroy careers. It was to stop harassment and to out the guys who were problematic for it. I see. It was not to, it was not to put anyone in jail necessarily unless they deserved this it. Is the point was not that those guys were innocent. It's that they walked? Or? Yeah. It was, it was as though because this piece had come out, because Gian Gomeshi was acquitted, well, the, the whole movement was stupid. Like Men seem to think everything is a conspiracy against them and not a movement to make life better for women. So if you really think that, fuck off. Listen, it's entirely possible that a false accusation can get made. Like any other crime, there's, I think it's like somewhere between 2 and 4% there are false accusations. Maybe the Me Too movement has made more of them. It's certainly made a lot of people who deserved to be called out, who needed to be called out. Yeah. But I am not of the opinion that some collateral damage or some casualties are acceptable. I don't think that it's okay if one innocent person gets called out who did nothing. But Stephen Galloway's the wrong poster boy. Yeah. It's, it's not your guy. Yeah. I mean, you can't really point to any good poster boys for, like, the unfairly maligned of the Me Too movement. There really ain't any. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Justin Ling, where can people find you? Paul McLeod's address is 73 Georgetown Avenue, Washington, D.C. This is just getting worse and worse. Our website is canadalandshow.com, and uh, you'll find our news stories there and also hundreds of wonderful free podcasts, including a show called Oppo. Never heard of it. I won't listen to it. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 